Uh, thanks, Amy. My name's Jono, by the way. If we haven't met before, uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, and if you do have a Bible, uh, please keep it open there. It'd be good for me uh, if you can kind of keep me accountable and make sure that what I'm saying uh, comes from God's Word. As a church, we do this thing called expository preaching, which means we want the Bible to set the agenda uh, for us as a church. Uh, and so we work our way through uh, letters of the Bible or uh, narratives, uh, and we're doing Romans. Uh, why don't we uh, pray again as we ask God for help to look at his word? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we can just pause now. Uh, we thank you that we can uh, spend an hour or two together uh, hearing from your word, uh, singing to you in praise encouraging one another and reminding each other of what this world, what this life is really about. And so we pray, Lord, that as you speak to us uh, through Romans this afternoon, you would just continue that work, that we would know you and be growing in you for your glory and that you would be adding to our number those who are being saved. We pray this in Jesus. Amen. Uh, it was the end of the first date, uh, and he was uh, interested in her, and so obviously hanging on her every word, wondering about what the future might hold for the two of them. She said, I like you. Uh, I think you're a really nice person, but I don't ever want to go out with you again. Uh, that's not what he was hoping for. Uh, I like you, but there, there's so often a but in life, isn't there? A but that sets up and transitions to the negative. Uh, I asked Jen out years ago, I really like you, she said to me, but I don't want a boyfriend right now. It's the work performance review as well. Have you had this one? They start with the positives. That's best practice, isn't it? The positives first, if they can at all think of them. Well, you're mostly here on time. That's, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, and we can see, we're observing that you appear to be trying in your role, but we're not going to be renewing your contract. This afternoon, we're just looking at one of the most famous buts in the Bible. But now, you see it in verse 21, if your Bible's there, and you underline this and you circle it and you, you highlight it. Uh, it begins a paragraph that Martin Luther called the chief point and the very central place of the epistle, that is the letter, and of the whole Bible. It's a big call. Uh, you can at least see something of how it influenced his life. And this transition, it's not the positive to the negative. It's not, here's some nice things about you, but... No, it's from the negative to the positive, from the bad news to the most wonderful news of all. And Paul, he ends his first argument in Romans, uh, the bad news, with that summary, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 to 20. Amy read it for us. We looked at it briefly a couple of weeks ago. And following the pattern of the Jewish rabbis, Paul backs up his argument with the Hebrew Scriptures, with our Old Testament. And he quotes Psalms and Psalms and Psalms and Ecclesiastes and, and Isaiah. And you notice the repetition in verses 10 through 12. There is no one righteous, not even one. 
No one who understands, no one who seeks God, no one who does good, not even one. While we have all been made for relationship with the loving God who made us, aside from the but now that's coming up in this passage, no one, not even one, has this relationship with him or shows any sign of seeking it. And while you and I will often want to be the exception to the rule, no one is comprehensive, isn't it? And as we're looking at Romans and we're getting an idea of the structure of this this great uh, letter, you see from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20, Paul outlines the bad news. All of us are in the same hopeless position, whether you're a pagan or a moralist, or ignorant, or a Jew. Our hopeless position before God is universal. We are all deserving of God's judgment, God's wrath, for our sin. Uh, Jen has this really helpful line written in her Bible uh, that she brought up in our small group this week. The role of the law. Like a thermometer, it shows me that I'm sick but offers no solution. Paul has been saying for chapters, he's been saying this for chapters, but he'll say it again, you see in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. I can't live to the the standard that I set for myself. I can't live to the standard I set for other people. And we can't meet God's expectations either. There's a lot going on in our world at the moment, isn't there? I mean, on the news and... uh, What what would you say the world's biggest problem is? The God of the Bible, through the Apostle Paul, clearly says our big problem is with God. Sinful people cannot stand before a holy God. But now, verse 21, but now, verse 21, you see, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. There is a right standing before God that is available, a right relationship with him. And it has to be separate from the law because the law says I'm sick and it offers no solution. We all miss the mark. You look at the person next to you, they miss the mark. But notice from verse 21, the law and the prophets testify to this righteousness. That is to say, it's not plan B. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures point Towards it. Isaiah 53, Phil read it at the start of the service. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. And this righteousness is of God, it is from God. It cannot be on the basis of my performance. A friend of ours was living in country New South Wales and he was woken late, really late one night, to the sound of the fridge opening. 
you know, the light, that some light came into the room and he could hear that someone was moving around out there and there was even the chinking of, of cutlery. He, he got up to investigate, as, as you do, and he found a man who had broken in, sitting at his dining table eating breakfast cereal. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realise it was your house, he said. He obviously did. This is a small town. He was a known person. Please don't call the police. Please have mercy. Don't call the police. Don't call. All right, I won't call the police. But you know what that bloke said next? He's eating this guy's breakfast cereal, having just broken into his house in the middle of the night. He said, can I have $50? No, you can't have $50. Get out. Our friend showed that bloke mercy, withholding the punishment that was due. I won't call the police. But he wasn't going to give him grace, undeserved favour, 50 bucks too. Here's a pineapple. I don't think so. But you see, this is, this is how God acts in relation to us. He shows us his mercy, yes, but he also gives us what we do not deserve. His undeserved favour. See verse 22? We read, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It has nothing to do with us doing the right thing and everything to do with Jesus Christ. It's a straight out gift. Now, can I, if you don't have it, well, God's a generous giver. Ask for it, and it's yours. For all who believe in the person and work of King Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that the man who has faith is the man who is no longer looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was, the past. He does not look at what he is now, the present. He does not look at what he hopes to be, the future. He looks entirely at the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work and he rests on that alone. I reckon that is a wonderful description of what it is to trust and follow Jesus. It is to stop looking at yourself. I'm not good enough. Yes, you're not good enough. So look at Jesus. Now, sometimes we could worry. I don't know if you ever find yourself doing that. Do I have enough faith? And we turn faith into a work and we worry about our doubts. Our faith becomes the object the thing that we're looking to for salvation instead of Jesus. No, we're to look to him and we're to look to him and and we're to look to him. Do you notice though, there's a really, really important uh, character of God question that comes up in, in this part of the Bible. How can God, who's holy and just, and how can God be right 
when he knows that I'm wrong and he says that I'm right? Isn't he just calling what is bad good? You can't do that. We'll see from halfway through verse 22 to 24. We read, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all, it's comprehensive, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace. How? Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That word redemption helps us to imagine ourselves as slaves or prisoners of war perhaps. Redemption is deliverance by payment of a price. When things get tight financially, someone might go to the pawnbroker and cash in that precious gold watch that's been handed down through the generations. In exchange, they get some money uh, to, to you know, get on with life. But, but to redeem the watch, to get the watch back later, you, you have to pay. And so the person, they go back to the, the pawn broker and they, they pay the money with interest and they get the watch back. Now, I've redeemed it. Deliverance by payment of a price. Back in Old Testament Israel, someone might get into debt and instead of cashing in the gold watch, they may have to sell themselves and their whole family into slavery. So there's this family that's stuck in slavery because of their debt. There's nothing they can do. But God's law made provision for there to be a redeemer, someone who could buy buy you out of your debt and so free you from slavery. Redemption. We, um, we go to the courtroom in Romans 3 and we have the judge slamming down the hammer declaring this person is righteous. But how can it be right for God to call that which is wrong right. Is there some disconnect here? Well, no, in Jesus Christ, he redeems us. He pays the price for our debt, securing our freedom. The price for our debt, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Yeah, sacrifice of atonement, the payment or propitiation, if you have an ESV translation in front of you, it's a fancy word, isn't it? This is God's rightful anger, his wrath, due to our sin, being turned on Jesus in our place, Jesus dying the death that we deserve, this is how the debt is paid. This is how redemption is done. And we get his righteousness. They're like a baby bird in a nest opening its mouth for food, receiving by faith all that its parent has laboured for, so we receive God's righteousness by all that Jesus has laboured for. His blood, 
poured out for you and me. He takes our sin. The wrath of the Father is upon him and we get his righteousness. My sin is not simply covered or forgotten or tucked away under the rug somewhere, but it is fully and finally dealt with. The just punishment of the law has been put on him. And so there is no disconnect. Justice is done. You see from verse 25 and 26, you think back, the Hebrew scriptures, what about Abraham and David, those others of old who had faith in God, but they were sinners. We read, he did this, this cross work of Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see that there's no disconnect. The God of the Bible doesn't say, we'll just forget about it and move on. And he doesn't call what is wrong right But in Christ, he deals with our sin and he gives us his righteousness. There was a bloke who'd been a part of a church for for many years. And he came to his pastor and he said, "You, you know, the trouble is, I see my life as rather like a mill pond. Uh, And speaking of his past sin, he said, I know there are a number of rusty bicycles under the surface. I know you can't see them, Pastor, but I know that God does. And I think that things, the things that are going wrong in my life at the moment are because God knows that they're there. He's punishing me. Well, to think like that is to misunderstand this passage, isn't it? You see verse 23 to 25 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's universal. Everyone and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. If you believe this, your sins are gone. Finished, dealt with, not just tucked under the surface. There is no disconnect because God has dealt with your sin in Christ and he views you as Jesus is righteous. David Seckham, he ends his commentary on this part of Romans by saying the guilty person who turns to God for mercy can go free without any compromise of justice. Because we need justice, don't we? As we look at what's going on in the world, we can recognise, yes, there's sin and justice must be done. But for all of those who come to Christ, justice is done. Your past sin, your present sin, your future sin... 
finished. He gives us his righteousness. And so we look at him, we look to Jesus our King, resting securely in him. And and this is just the basic stuff of being a Christian, isn't it? And yet we need to hear it over and over and over and over again. How about we pray? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this but now. Uh, Lord, as we look at our world and as we reflect on our own hearts, we are conscious that we fall short, that we miss the mark in relation to you. And so, Lord, we want to thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus, that there is a righteousness that we can have through him, apart from the law, but that which the law points to. We thank you for God the Son himself, who became a man, fully God and fully man, who lived the perfect life and paid the debt to set us free from sin and death. Lord, we thank you that your righteous anger, your justice is fully And finally satisfied in Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. Lord, help us look at him. Help us look at him. And we pray, Lord, that you would transform us by this most wonderful news. Amen.